0: Puck, oh, and, yeah. and it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Each your inside pass to everything Saints football.
1: Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown! New
2: Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room,
1: following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season.
2: That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD!
1: Welcome to Inside Black and Gold.
2: And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas.
1: Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Hey, y'all. Who dat? And welcome in. I am Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold, but this is going to be our standard kind of quick hit Wednesday edition of Inside Black and Gold. This first segment, I'm going to go through the injury report, what we know, what we're looking at the rest of the way as the Saints head into week 13 in a pretty much must-win showdown against the Detroit Lions. It feels like every week we say must-win this, must-win that. It's must-win for a reason, not necessarily must-win mathematically, but losing to the Falcons pretty much makes it so. This is now a game that you cannot afford to lose if you want to be able to say you control your destiny, whatever that means at this point, right? It's like every week the goalposts move in terms of what our expectations are for this team or what they have to do, but Hey, we're going to, we're going to get into it. So that's going to be the first segment. Second segment, you know, a lot of people have been talking about it. Mickey Loomis was on WWL this week and you know, the whole, we have the people in the building that we need the right people in the building, all that sort of stuff. So I want to get into that and talk about, you know, what, what your interpretation of that probably should be in terms of what did you expect him to say? What should he say? What what should his approach be and what should fans expect the GM of a team to say? Uh, so we'll, we'll get into a lot of that. Also talk to Dennis Allen today. I'll talk to Derek Carr, but I'm going to save that for the Friday episode in terms of there's a lot to unpack from what we heard from Derek Carr this week. And I don't didn't have really had enough time to to digest it all and to get it all set up. So I don't want to just throw it at you in this episode, I'm going to save it for the final episode, and we're going to dive into that. But we will hear from DA. And then in the final segment, I want to get to some questions for people who are watching. So if you have questions, comments, throw them in the mailbag, and we will get to that in the final segment. However many there are there, there, that's how many we will go through. But let's dive into the injury report first. This first segment will be quick, but there are a good number of injuries that we have to get into. So if you're watching this, you got the injury report up to my left here. This is the Wednesday injury report first of the week. And it's basically just an echo of what we watched in the game, which was a lot of people going down with injuries. Not everyone left the game, but you are now seeing kind of the echo of those injuries in this. So defensive end, Cameron Jordan ankle injury. He did not practice on Wednesday. Dennis Allen said he's hopeful that cam will be able to play. He's a guy who takes pride in not missing games. So We'll see over the next couple of days. I expect you'll you'll see Cam get back to practice in at least a limited capacity. It's just a question of whether he can play at a high enough level to get out there. You know, you did lose Jason Pierre-Paul off the practice squad. He signed with the Dolphins. He's a Miami guy. It's kind of just, you know, the luck you have when the, the Dolphins had a guy go down with an injury. Suddenly they have a need. JPP literally grew up. In South Florida, his high school was about, I don't know, 40 miles away from Miami. It's like, you know, it's it's definitely makes sense for him to go there. It's annoying because you really need depth on the defensive line right now. We'll get more into that, but he will not be there. Safety Marcus May dealing with a shoulder issue. He didn't leave the game, but he did hurt his shoulder. He did not practice on Wednesday. And personally, I've been very disappointed with Marcus May. In terms of I just don't think he's getting the job done. And so, you know, you don't want to see somebody get hurt, obviously, but I don't necessarily see this as a huge negative because I think you're better off with Jordan Howden on the field. So we'll see how that goes. If Marcus can get back or if he's unable to go, I feel good about Jordan Howden. Running back Kendra Miller has been dealing with an ankle injury, still not practicing. That's frustrating. Um, I would be surprised to see him go wide receiver Rashid Shahid dealing with that thigh injury. Another guy I don't think you're going to have this week. It does sound like he avoided any major injuries, but it it just doesn't sound promising for this week. Linebacker Pete Warner dealing with a shoulder slash oblique injury. He is a guy we saw go down during the game and he stayed in, but clearly he was playing through something. He didn't practice. I would be surprised if he misses the game, but if he doesn't, Then, you know, you got some serious questions at Will Linebacker. It's the position that we went into this season kind of looking at and saying, if either of these guys go down, being DeMario Davis and Pete Werner, who goes in behind them? Because I still don't know, right? Like, we don't really know what the depth is behind Pete Werner. (laughs) Maybe it's Nephi Sewell. He's really the only option. Ty Summers is on the roster. He could be an option. You could elevate Anthony Orgy from the practice squad. I think you probably would. If Pete Werner is inactive, you would elevate Anthony Orgy. But Zach Bond is a Sam linebacker. He's not shifting over the way Caden Ellis did last year. He does not have that skill set. So your options would be maybe shift DeMario over to Will and play someone else at the mic. Maybe a DeMarco Jackson, but that's not ideal either. So that's going to be one to watch. That's probably your most concerning injury in terms of what would you do to replace them from there? There's two other guys with the rest that we know about Jimmy Graham as always uh, and Ryan Ramchick. Uh, this is something we see every week kicker Blake groupie. Now this is an interesting one because you know, there was some, I don't want to say confusion, but so the saints worked out kickers on Tuesday and, and without context that sounds like, well, why are they working out kickers now? Blake just had a good game. He made five of, of his first of his six kicks, right? He hit five kicks in a row, and now we're working out kickers. Well, so the context is Blake Groupie went on the injury report late in the week. He dealt with a groin injury, kind of crept up on him in practice. He kicked in the game. Dennis Allen wouldn't say that the injury affected him later in the game, but I think if you look at some the the I think the last kickoff ended up real short, and then the last field goal attempt from 54, which we know he has the leg from 54. Even his misses have not been short; they have been left or right. right. And so you got to wonder if that groin injury crept up on him. Got wor- when you ask a got to kick sick field goals in a game, and he's dealing with an injury. Not exactly a stunner that that might have crept up on him. Either way, Blake Groupie is day to day. Da put it, and so. You worked out kickers. You signed Austin Seibert to the practice squad. And that's kind of a, you know, if he's a questionable going into the game and you you need another option, you can't go in without a kicker, you know. And so that's, you don't typically carry multiple kickers because, you know, it's just a roster spot that you, you're you not really maximizing. So, but you do have Austin Seibert on the practice squad. It does sound like Blake's going to try to go. It's just a question of whether he can. I think Mike Triplett uh, tweeted today that, he talked to Blake and he said basically, as long as they let me go out there and play, I'm gonna play. Like it's unless they shut me down, I'm gonna go out there. So I think you'll see Blake go out there, but that's why they worked out kickers this week. Center Eric McCoy, also limited with his shoulder injury. He did suffer that in the game. He left for a period of time, came back in. The biggest question of the week, and it's really just a question of time. Chris Olave, wide receiver, he is in the concussion protocol. He did practice in a limited capacity. So while it's still unlikely that he plays, the only way that you could feasibly get him back would be for him to be at practice today, right? Like if he, if he wasn't practicing today, you could basically write it off as, okay, he's out. But, you know, with a limited practice, you do have a outside chance at him potentially clearing. Maybe it was not a, a major concussion. Maybe it was just them playing it safe. And so he's able to get through. We'll see. But right now, I think you have to go under the assumption that you will not have Rashid Shahid or Chris Olave. And so that leaves you with a lot of questions at the wide receiver spot. And D.A. talked about that a little today, so let's hear what he had to say.
0: Yeah, look, uh, you know, there's going to be some guys that are going to have to step up. Anytime that you have guys go down, you know, it it it, it creates an opportunity for somebody else to step up. I thought Lynn Bowden played well in the game the other day, so I, he's done some really good things. So I think if he's called upon the, to go out there and play, um, and play significant snaps. Um, I expect him to go out and play at a at a high level. Those guys, as do those I. Are, as 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 do I. All those guys. They, it's a group that you know maybe doesn't have a lot of production in the NFL, but they still have experience. How, how can that be helpful, even if it's not necessarily like translated to games? Yeah. Look, I mean, uh, you know, we've got you know a young player in At Perry, and then we've got some other guys that have that have played in our league, and and you know, I think just the fact that you played in NFL games gives you a little bit of experience. Those guys are going to have to step up and play, and we got all the confidence in the world that they'll step up and play well.
1: You know, it's funny because if not for the injuries, you would be you would be sitting here saying, oh, well, I wonder if A.T. Perry's kind of gaffed there at the beginning of the game in the red zone where he didn't run his route. Because And I look back at it. He did. It was pretty close to it. You know, it's funny because the reason it wasn't called a false start is because I think the ref might have seen that he didn't actually false start. It was really close. Like he did move earlier than anybody else. But if you look at the it, he basically moved with the snap of the ball. And even if he did false start in his own mind, he did it close enough that I think the ref was actually right not to call it. But, you know, it's funny. You look at that mistake by A.T. Perry and you're like, well, that's not a great look for a rookie. That's going to hurt his chances to be trusted in big situations as the season goes on. Well, that's not the case this week. You don't have any other options, assuming Chris doesn't go because A.T. Perry, Marquez Calloway, Lynn Bowden, right? Like Keith Kirkwood. Maybe you elevate John Trey Kirkland too. I don't know, but you're, you did. They didn't bring anybody in. They didn't go sign Traquan Smith off the Broncos practice squad like I thought maybe they would. So those are your guys. Those are going to be your options, assuming you don't get any surprise returns. You know, Juwan Johnson should be a big part of that game, but. That's kind of what you have to hope for is some of these young guys, some of these guys who haven't been used that much can step up. And, you know, I think you you can point to some things for optimism in terms of, you know, you did move the ball when after Olave went out, right? Like there was positive momentum. You were able to get Chris Olave on some screens. You, I'm sorry, Calvin Kamara on some screens. You blocked the screens pretty well. You ran the ball pretty well. Taysom got involved. Like I think the offense in general, and I know people are going to roll their eyes when I say this, you know, you have moved the ball between the twenties. So to me, it's there's, there's two, two worlds that you have to establish here. One is how do you move the ball? Generally speaking, right? How do you get drives going? And then the second question is how do you finish drives? The saints have actually been pretty good at the first one. They have been horrendous at the second one. And, You know, unfortunately, that's the one where you look at and you say, why aren't we winning games? Well, when you get into the red zone five times and you come away with nine points total, (laughs) that's not going to win games. Uh, Everyone knows this. It is not a mystery. And so, you know, uh, those guys are going to have a big role to play. But you go to the. The Lions side of this, they're in much better shape. Uh, although the funny thing is the uh, one of the only names that you're going to see on this Lions team that you will recognize is Alex Anzalone, or at least recognize in terms of, you know, be familiar with is Alex Anzalone. He is the only player that did not participate this week. He's dealing with a hand injury. Guard Jonah Jackson, ankle slash wrist, he was limited. Running back David Montgomery has a foot issue. He's limited. Safety Tracy Walker, shoulder, he was limited. And then quarterback Hendon Hooker, who was actually brought back from injured reserve this week. uh, He's dealing with that knee injury. Obviously, it's the ACL that he's missed all that time with. He's returned to practice, so he won't play in this game. But if you're a Hendon Hooker fan, which I know there's a lot of Saints fans who were interested in the Saints potentially drafting Hendon Hooker, he is back with the Lions this week. So just kind of an update, not going to affect this week at all in terms of the game. But just an update. And then center Frank Ragnow dealing with a back and toe issue. He he was a full participant. And then safety, Iefatu who I think I said that correctly. He's dealing with a hand issue, but he was a full participant. So, you know, the the Saints, this is one of the first games this season that the Saints go into it and you say, man, they are at a serious disadvantage because of health. Um, I mean, you could set it about week 12 in the Falcons, but, you know, <laughs> they're going to have to make it work. It, it's it's a situation where you either start it now or you or you don't. This is the ultimate sink or swim game because if you go out there and you lay a dud, this is your first of three consecutive home games. It's the first time that's happened since 2014 in terms of actual home games. They obviously had they had three consecutive home games last year, but one of them was in London. So call that what you want. Not really a home game. Um, but the Saints are going to have to figure this out. They're going to have to figure it out in a hurry and they're going to have to figure it out without several star players. So. With all that that's the injury report. That's what we're looking at. So we're going to be monitoring the next few days and we will get into it. But this is Inside Black and Gold. That's the end of that segment. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about what Mickey Loomis had to say and one thing that's annoying me in terms of how this Saints I don't I don't I guess regime would be the word in terms of how the Saints regime is operating as it pertains to Their starting quarterback, and and I know that that's good. It's a it's a loaded topic. Everyone's going to have thoughts, but we're going to get into it. Again, this is inside Black and Gold. If you're watching and you want to get your questions answered, throw them in the feed. We'll have a mailbag sex sex. What did I just say? We have a mailbag segment in the back end of this program. So again, throw your comments, questions in there. We'll get to as many as possible. Thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll be right. back. We're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is our Quick Hitter Wednesday edition, and there's one topic that kind of caught fire on social media between last night and between I guess Tuesday night and Wednesday morning, and it came out of our standard weekly Mickey Loomis interview on WWL Radio. Mike Haas does it, the voice of the Saints, and you know it's 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 not it's not exactly a point. To listen, you know what? One of the reasons I don't I don't tell people, oh, you got to go listen to this because Mickey really doesn't say anything. Um, You know, he's just, he's, what I'll say about Mickey Loomis as the Saints general manager is he understands how not to get in the way. And I say that, in a in a positive way because a lot of people will go and say, well, why aren't, why isn't he more like David Tepper and, and Jerry Jones and completely, you know, and obviously you're talking, you're talking owner, GM, these are two different situations, but those are situations where the owner is basically acting like a GM. And making things about themselves, whereas they just need to make life easier on the people that they empower to do the job. They don't need to be forcing people to react to the things that they say. And I think that's how a GM should operate. The GM should not be making things about themselves. That said, at a certain point, you have to say something. And at times, that something, even if you're trying to be positive, is not going to be taken the way you hope it, it will. And so you're talking about a five and six football team. You're talking about a team that has underwhelmed to say the least over two full seasons, basically. You're, you're not quite through the second season, but you're, you're getting close. You've seen what you, what you probably need to see least A lot of people have in terms of a regime that just has not gotten the job done. And so Mike asked Mickey about, you know, what his kind of role, what what he feels like his role is in, in, in that, part of the zeitgeist if you will <laughs> and uh, this is what he had to say and i'll just i'll just kind of let this roll uh and you can kind of take from it what you will
2: i know it's a tough week out there and i don't know but you, you've got is part of your job like the keep people focused on on the on the task at hand and not, i'm not saying keep people's chin up and you know i, I but but kind of focus on, on the future a little bit. I'm just trying to get a sense of, you know, yeah. it's your tough times, but it is what it is. Well, I look, I think, I think it's uh, um, in any industry, any business um, part of leadership is look when things, when things aren't going well, you, you can't just be negative. Uh, there's enough negative noise out there. We don't need to be negative. Not not a lot of people get inspired by negativity. Um, so, so, you know, part of our job is to focus on the positive, focus on what we're doing well, accentuate that and um, not sweep the things that we aren't doing well under the rug, but attack them and, and improve in those areas. And um, I believe with all my heart, we got the right people in the building. Um, I know we do. Um, there's too many other things that are good signs. I mean, we're, we're 12th in the league on offense. We just had had a game where we had 444 yards. We had, you know, five trips into the red zone. We're, we're, you know, in the top 10 in our league and trips to the red, into the red zone. So it's hard to score if you're not getting into the scoring area, we're getting into the scoring area. And historically, um, you know we've done a good job in that area for for lots of different reasons, lots of different variables. We're not doing that as well this year, and yet I think we can. You know I think defensively we've we've had we've had you know a number of games that we played really really well. Uh, we've had a few games that we haven't played as well, and yet one thing we have continued to do um, different than past years is we've taken the ball away. I think we're at uh, if I recall we're at fourteen interceptions. I mean that that's a fantastic number. We've got. You know we're plus six as uh, as I said in the uh, takeaway turnover ratio. That there's a lot of winning football being played, and yet we've got we've, we're doing some things that keep us from from winning. Um, right. And so we've got we've got to focus on that and correct it.
1: Yeah. So so there's a, there's a few things to unpack there. One, if you're surprised by what you heard Mickey say there, you shouldn't be because. Mickey as a GM, and you can say this is a fault, you can say this is a sign that they need to go a different direction at GM, they need to do whatever, but that's just who Mickey is and how he operates in terms of he's never going to say something that is going to make the coaches, the players, everyone's life harder in terms of having to answer for something that he's saying. So, you know, if if you think that if you're if you're waiting, if you're holding your breath for Mickey to go out there and say, no, this this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. This guy needs to be better. This guy needs to. He's not going to do that. This is not who he is as a GM in terms of. And I appreciate like I don't think that a GM meddling in that way is a positive thing. So like you're going to disagree with it. But at the end of the day, that's just what he's going to say anyway. So beyond that, he thinks he has the right people in the building. And at this point. I hope he does because if if he didn't, then he should be making changes and 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 I think that the reason that people react so harshly to what he said there is that they're worried that 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 he's looking at this and saying, you know it's like the dog sitting in the fire meme where it's like everything is fine and and I don't think that's I, I don't I genuinely don't think that that's true. I think that he does understand. Uh, that this is not good enough, and you're kind of looking at this and saying, you know, this this is kind of a come to Jesus situation. Either you figure this out, or you're hitting the road, or a lot of people are hitting the road, right? And and I think I said this on on our Monday episode. It's it's not a question of whether changes need to be made at this point. It's how sweeping they need to be. And so for Mickey, it's more of a it's more of a you know a, an analysis of how things finish and how you go forward. You're not making decisions right now because those won't benefit you. You're, you're looking at this as the way you have to be now where I will take some serious umbrage. I'm going to use that word because it's a good word uh, with what he said is no, no, (laughs) the good things do not paper over the bad. Like you cannot look at 400 yards of empty offense and A bunch of failed red zone trips and say that that is why this setup that you have is a good idea, right? Like, there are things that will undermine all the good things that you are doing to the point that the good things don't matter. And one of those things is a quarterback who cannot get the job done in the red zone. Now, like, that's a problem. It was a problem when Derek wasn't turning the ball over and it's a, much bigger problem when you're making a throw like he did in that game and then coming out and saying, well, Jesse Bates should have never done that. That's not his job. Why is he doing it? Well, (laughs) you know, part of his job is to read the quarterback's eyes and to, and to try to make those interceptions. He's a star player. He's going to make that play. And the idea that you can come out and say, well, he didn't, he did something that I didn't think he was going to do. Well, yeah, because you weren't paying attention. If you go back, go back and watch, Go back and watch the A.T. Perry play, right? The play where A.T. Perry never gets out of his out of his stance and goes in the end zone, right? This is a third down play in the red zone. You're in the same position. It's a third down that Falcons are playing single high, right? And if you watch Jesse Bates, you can see him break on the inside route. It's not like a slant. It's more of a hitch, but he breaks on it. It's like a post. And, you know, the ball was going to A.T. Perry. So he's breaking on that route. You're not throwing it there, but that's what he's doing. And then he comes back and he he does it again on that next drive. And that's the pick six. And it's like, no, you need to understand what's happening. You need to be able to make changes and react in the red zone. And that's been the problem. And we're going to hear more from Derek Carr in the next episode because a couple questions and, and I thought his answers were interesting and they kind of play off what, what Alvin was talking about in the beginning of the week and what DA was talking about in the beginning of the week. But my bigger issue is is how his struggles are completely, I don't want to say ignored, but glossed over in terms of why are we not holding him accountable for the struggles like I think that the idea that he can't get the job done on the whole is not necessarily fair I think that every quarterback has their warts and every quarterback has their high points and their low points no one is as good as they are on their best day or as bad as they are on their worst day but it's pretty freaking clear at this point that Derek Carr is not a good red zone quarterback and so you have to work find ways to work around that pretending it's not a thing is the problem I have pretending that it's not something that you have to actively navigate is my problem. And and when I say that it's because of things like this. And so this is Dennis Allen today kind of being pressed on Derek Carr and what he can do better. And this is what
0: he has. We're We're not really in the business of a blame game. Uh, we're in the business of production. And so uh, I think we all have to be better. Let me rephrase that. Is there anything Derek could be doing better at all? Like anywhere on the field? I think there's things that all of us can do, be doing better, you know. So to try to single him out, you know, I, I think is, is is not the right way to go. I mean, I think, you know, the game of football is the ultimate team game. It takes 11 guys on the field um, in every single phase. It takes all three phases. And, and so, you know, I'm not going to get into, you know, trying to associate blame to anybody. It's just an area that we've got to improve on.
1: And and sure. Like you're not going to blame everything on Derek Carr. You're not going to go and say we would be successful if not for this guy. Because it's not it's not like you bring in anybody and suddenly you're better. You know, I think Derek is above replacement level, but he's not by, not by enough to justify what you were what you sold people on in terms of the the vision of Derek Carr. And pretending that's not true is to me, a major driving force in what has so many people so frustrated with what they are watching because you got sold a vision of what this was supposed to look like. And it's not that. And whether you want to blame Pete Carmichael, whether you want to blame Derek Carr, whether you want to blame Dennis Allen, when you're the quarterback of a team and you are struggling in such obvious ways in the most important part of the field, right? In the most important part of the game, which is scoring touchdowns when you are within spitting distance of the end zone, you can't pretend that it's, oh, it's a team game. And it's, if not for this, if not for a penalty here or a fumble there, then it would all be perfect because you can erase all of that other stuff and look at only the plays that everything works fine. And it's still not a success story. So what I need this, this team, this coaching staff, this front office to do, and Derek Carr, for that matter, is to actually look themselves in the mirror and be honest about what they are looking at. Because while I don't think this is necessarily a full teardown right now, I don't think it is as bleak as a lot of people want to make it out to be. That's my frustration. That is my concern that no one is taking seriously the actual problems that exist in front of them. And they are getting lost in the platitude of it's a team game. I don't want to blame anyone specifically. Well, you brought in a guy in a position, in a role on a contract where he is expected to perform at a level that is representative of that money, of that contract, of that position. And you haven't seen that. And you, you need to admit that that's the problem before you can fix that problem. And I think everyone can see it. And I'm just tired of pretending that it's not there. And until they come to terms with that, it's just going to get uglier and uglier. So to me, that's my problem with the Mickey. Like I, I, again, I don't have a problem with kind of the idea of how Mickey operates. I don't have a problem with supporting the people you have put in place to do their jobs and allowing them to do it without the interference of some guy who, Honestly, you don't need to be hearing from as much as you do. It's one of the reasons that like, I don't make a huge deal out of the comments Mickey makes throughout a season because he's not the coach, right? He's not, he's not the guy who's making the decisions in the heat of the moment, but at the end of the day, there has to be accountability and we can't pretend that that doesn't include the quarterback. It has to start with the quarterback. And so that's, that's my long rant here. And you know that's that's gonna be it. That's I'm gonna wrap up that segment. We're gonna get into the mailbag, but like I I get it, y'all. I get it. It's frustrating, and I think people misconstrue my my hopefulness with just having blinders on. And no, it's because I want to watch good football. I wanna I wanna hope for the best. I'd like people to be successful but I think in order for them to do that, they need to be honest about it. So that's that. Um, This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. We're gonna hit the break, come back, answer some mailbag questions. I've already got a few starred in there, but thanks everyone for watching. Thanks everyone for hanging around. I'll be right back. Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. I'm your host for this here podcast. We'll be getting into a quick mailbag segment. This is our quick hitter Wednesday episode. We went through the injury report. We went through why the Saints are in denial about Derek Carr and, and all that. We'll, we'll, and we'll keep going here. But so we got we got a few. We got Rose City D. You heard me. And he says M3, but it's me. It says Mickey D A and DC, the three blind mice I don't even know where that came from but but that's fair you know and and it, it is it what what frustrates me and I know we just went to what frustrates me but I'll continue to go is it's it's not that it's not that it's even the same problem every week right there are different problems every week like like it's not that the same thing keeps happening over and over again it's that different things happen that all result in the same end product. And the problem I have is you hear the same answers every week, but it's, but, and and I think that's what frustrates Alvin, right? We talked about Alvin and what he said. And, you know, it's like, we we keep saying these things. We keep saying, we need to be better. We need to do this. We need to do this, but what's actually changing, what's actually different. And I, you know, one thing that DA said this week that I think, okay, fine. There is an actual bit of information there. And I, cause I asked him, you know, okay, so you're going to focus on red zone, you're going to work on getting better in the red zone. But what does that mean? What what does that actually entail? Right? And so one of the things the Saints are doing this week is they're moving their red zone work up from Friday to Thursday, right? You only get three days of practice in the week, three real days of practice, like you get a couple walkthroughs, you get get classroom time, but you get three practices. And so you have to prioritize time in those practices. And so typically how teams will operate. And this is not a Saints thing. Typically, how things will operate is on Wednesdays, you will do first, second down. On Thursdays, you will work on third down. And on Fridays, you'll work on red zone, situational stuff. Well, this week, they are moving up red zone to Thursday and getting some of that work done there. And that's in addition to what they would typically do would be doing on Friday. So when they say we're devoting more time in practice to this... That's kind of what it means because you do have, you you have this pie of time, right? And you have to just carve slices out of it. What are we going to work on and what, how much are we going to devote? How much time are we going to devote to this, to this, to this? While you are increasing that pie, whatever slice that is for red zone, you're increasing it. And so that's kind of how it works. So if, if anyone wondering, oh, what does that mean in terms of devoting more time? That's kind of what you're looking at. Will that help? I don't know, but I guess more time on task, at least... It's a you know, when I when I get frustrated with the with the Dennis Allen answers, it's usually just because there are no specifics. There's nothing. It's all just generic coach speak. It's it's a team game. We got to be better. Well, at least that's a tangible answer of of one thing that is changing from a preparation perspective. So, you know, if I ask for something and I get the answer, I can't be bad about the answer. So at least there's at least there's something there. Uh, Jerry G says, I want to hear fire DA for the next three games of the dome loud and proud. And, you know, it's, I haven't been here that long, right? Like I've, I've been here since I've, I've lived in new Orleans since 2016. I have covered the saints since 2018. And, you know, it's, it's funny because you don't, it, every, every kind of coaching tenure, that that goes poorly. You know, it, it it all makes sense in reverse. Like you look back on the Jim Hazlitt era and you're like, well, of course that wasn't gonna work because we know how it ended. And and I and you look at this one and you're saying, okay, is it already over? Is it is it too far gone for this team to to prove anything, to come back and and show that that this has not been a year and a half project down the tubes. And, and it's, and it's tough to say, I, like, it could be, maybe it is. Um, I do know that this team has a, this team has a chance, right? It has it. it has a chance to go out these final six games and give people something to enjoy, something to be proud of. And I, and I personally would love to see it happen, right? Like, again, I'm never going to be the pessimist and say, and it, like, because I know how cool it would be for a team to just go out and win its final six games. Look at the Lions, right? Like we can talk all we want about how the saints are dead in the water, but look at how the lions turned their hopes around their whole team around in, in one stretch that didn't even get them to the postseason, right? In 2021, the Lions under Dan Campbell went 3 13 and 1. 3 13 and 1. In 2022, the same Lions squad started the year 1 and 6. They were 4 and 7 at one point, right? They won five of their last six games, finished 9 and 8. Missed the postseason. They beat Green Bay. They beat the Packers in a game where the Packers could have made the postseason with a win against a Lions team that had effectively already been eliminated. And the Lions went out and won. You don't think people were calling for Dan Campbell's job after three thirteen and one? You don't think people were calling for Dan Campbell's job even louder at one and six, even after a three-game losing streak? You they drop a game to Buffalo. And you don't think people are calling for his job again at four and seven. So, I mean, it's not as as cut and dried as it's over and they don't have a chance. You got to go win a game, right? You got to go prove something to yourself and to your fans. And if you can't do that, by all means, right? Yell fire to you. I'm not going to be mad about it. I get it. I understand why the hashtag is trending. I, I get it. But I would like to think that if this team could go out and win a couple games in a row, and 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 give people a reason to to just get excited about something that people would be on board with it, that they wouldn't bail on it in advance just because. Well, what are we really? Root? You're rooting for a team because you root for the team, uh, but you know, I, I mean, I would be surprised. You know, it, it's it, one of the funny things about being on this being on the field um, during introductions. Is you get a much better uh, scope for how loud the boos are, right? You get you get like kind of a, a range of like, wow, that's a loud cheer for Tyron Matthew. That's a loud cheer for Taysom Hill, and then they announce Derek Carr, and it's like, yikes. Or they they announced, they show Dennis Allen, it's like, that's uh, that's not the sound you want to hear. <laughs> and you know the the Jaguars game was probably the best example of of a game where I've heard more first half booze toward the home team in the Superdome than I've ever heard. And so, yeah, if they go out and lay an egg, like, again, like, I am not going to, I'm not going to hope for, for negative things to happen. It's just not my personality. It's just not what I'm going to do. But if they go out and lay an egg against the Lions, it's going to get ugly. It is. Like, I don't care what they come back and do against the Panthers. I don't care what they come back and do against the Giants. I don't care how much you're going to look at this and say, well, it's not over, right? Because the team won't, the team won't quit, the team won't go into a barrel. But it's if you can't be competitive with the Lions and a, and come out with a win, it's going to get ugly, and and that is your own doing. That is because of what you have done to this point in the season. So so we'll see. Row Ro City D says, "Walking wounded, Saints mash unit again." <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where you're at. It's Kind of where you're at. Justin Pasquale. I don't know if I'm saying that right, whether it's Pasquale or Pasquale, either way. Thanks for having... Thanks for being here, Justin. Uh it says, After the Falcons ran for over 200 yards, when the game plan was clearly stopped to run, I'm terrified the Lions running back tandem could replicate that, and we give up 200 rushing yards two weeks in a row. Yeah, David Montgomery's dealing with an injury, so we'll have to see. It's a foot injury. That's obviously when you're a running back and you have a foot injury, that's not ideal. So we'll have to see just how significant that is, but uh, Jameer Gibbs is very good. I'm actually... You know, it's funny because the I love the running back tandem that the Lions have. It reminds me of what the Saints tried to build. <laughs> like, it's what the Saints were hoping for with Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams, right? Like, it's what that was supposed to be. The problem is you're not getting, you know, like the, I'm sure the Lions are very happy with what they've gotten out of David Montgomery. The Saints have gotten nothing out of Jamal Williams. And, you know, as I know, Jamal was frustrated because the lions just kind of just said, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, if this is the production you're getting, then they made the smart move, you know, and, and I love Jamal. I think Jamal's great. Like he's, he's one of the most fun people I've ever dealt with. It just hasn't been good. And, you know, like uh, it's, a, it's a production business, right? Like you can't just, you, you can't live on personality in the NFL. Right. And and right now, that's all you've gotten out of Jamal. And maybe this is the game, right? Maybe this is the revenge game where Jamal can 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 get it done. And I know this question was about the the Lions run game. But, you know, the, like you got to see something out of Jamal, man. You got to see something. Maybe this is the week. I don't know. But yeah, Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. And it's honestly it's less about the running backs than it is about the offensive line, because the Lions offensive line is very, very good. The other things the Lions will do is they're going to go on fourth down constantly. You know, they're, they're not gonna, you know, there's those moments where, you know, you might gain some percentage points by the, by the other team being like kind of cowardly and not going on fourth and short. The Lions ran in a fake punt against the Packers from their own like 28 yard line. They didn't get it. The Packers stopped it. And, but, but I mean, that's the type of thing they, they put pressure on. They never let up. And that's, what I'm concerned about for the Saints is they don't, you know, it's like they they just seem desperate to get off the field. And, uh, you know, if it's like when you do convert those, one of the reasons I really do, I've always been a a proponent of the hyper-aggressive fourth down on fourth and short, right? Not fourth and six, not fourth and nine, fourth and one, go. I don't care where you are on the field, freaking go. Because it's a high percentage play. And when you get it, it's a backbreaker because I don't care what defenses say when they get a stop on fourth and short on your side of the field, they take a sigh of relief. They're like, thank God we got a stop. We can get off the field. If you force them to defend another down and they don't get it, you know how demoralizing that is for a defense. Like I would love, I don't, I don't know the stats. Like I, it would be almost impossible to put the stats together, but I guarantee you the percentage of drives that end in a touchdown after a fourth and one conversion is way higher, way higher because it's just it's like think about think about um the 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 Texans game right you got to stop and they they weren't gonna go right Miko Ryan's they had fourth and one they weren't gonna go they actually took a delay of game because they did a hard count and got back to fourth and six right and then <laughs> you the Saints had a dumb penalty and they had fourth and one again and they went that time right like just so weird but it's like that's just messing with the mind of a defense. And once they decided to go, I was like, it's a touchdown. Like, you're not going to stop them now because the defense, it's such a mentality thing on defense. If you can build confidence and you can continue to make plays, then I, then that, that does, like, so much of defense is just energy. And when you take it away from a team, you gain a huge advantage. And that's what the Lions are so good at. And that's what the Falcons were able to do to the Saints on that 95-yard touchdown drive is they took away the will from that team. And when you're a defense and you watch your offense go downfield and fail to score time after time, after time, after time, that doesn't help your defense either in that regard. Um, but yeah, so I, I share your concern. I asked Dennis Allen about this today and it's just, yeah, you got to be better than you were against the Falcons. And the question is, can you be right? Um, I think Isaiah Foskey's going to be back. That is something that I meant to talk about in the injury report segment is the, the best update you could have on Isaiah Foskey is he's not on that list. So you should get Isaiah Foskey back. The problem is, I don't think that he's necessarily a huge benefit for you in the run defense part of the game. I do think that he is a guy you want to have back against some of these mobile quarterbacks, particularly if Cam Jordan is out. But again, if Cam Jordan can't play or he has to have his snaps limited severely, you're going to get a big workload for Isaiah Foskey. And so maybe this is a game where you can see what you have in, the, in your second round pick. Either way, thanks, Justin. There's another one from, from J.P., Says so our offensive game plan is going to have to be pound the rock. And Juwan Johnson has to show up big in this game with all the injuries. Camara and Hill game. It's looking like, yeah, I mean, you have weapons. You have to find ways to use them. And to, to the Saints credit, they, they were able to do that. Now you didn't get in the end zone, obviously, but they were able to manufacture offense in, in creative ways with Lynn Bowden and, and all this. So hopefully that's a sign. That's a good sign that you won't come out of this game being like, uh, you know, maybe it's just another game where you can't score touchdowns, but I'd rather them be able to move the ball at all than, you know, like the Titans game early in the season, right? Here's one that I think is worth talking about. St. John Butler says, did the Saints botch the JPP thing or did they really not see him in their plans for 2023? JPP was on the practice squad. You signed him to the practice squad. That was always... The plan um, you wanted to see him in a game, right? Like, I think that it's not unreasonable to say the Saints weren't wrong to want to see him in a game before they signed him to the active roster. Right. And so they did. And the timing of it was unfortunate because you play JPP. There's tape on him. He looked fine. I mean, he didn't look bad. I I, I don't think he looked great, but he didn't look bad. And then you have a Dolphins team that suddenly lost Jalen Phillips for the year. You know they're starting outside linebacker, and JPP is a guy who has played outside linebacker. So the Dolphins are looking around, be like, oh, "Who can we pick up?" And wouldn't you know it, there's this, you know, this guy he's a South Florida guy just sitting there, and so they go and they go and sign him. And you know, I don't, I, I don't know if the Saints tried to retain him. I imagine they did but you don't really have an uh, much much say there it's either he he wants to sign here or he wants to sign there you saw the same thing with Latavius Murray last year and he just saw more opportunity i think it was with the ravens um or maybe it was the bills i think it the first time i think he left and went to the ravens the second time I, I think he went to the bills either way he saw better opportunity he saw a better bigger chance for a role and he saw in essentially his hometown and so he took it so i i don't know like i can't hold that against them i think they did everything the right way there um and you're just you know it's just just how it works right this one of the reasons that this happens a lot more than it used to is because you can have veteran players on the practice squad and call them up and then they get opportunities so good for jpp he's got he's got a role but i I wouldn't say that they that they botched it it's just just how it works brandon Bigard, if da blames someone like the kicker the QB, the D line, these are all the things that he decided to screw with in the preseason. Yeah, you know, well, in 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 defensive GA, you know, I think he he, everyone was w- willing to agree with the idea that's like, no, you can't just miss twenty nine yard field goals and and say, oh, it happens, right? Like, no, 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 that's unacceptable. You can't be doing that. And I think for a young kicker, you gotta, you, you know, there's there's come to Jesus moments, and that was probably one for him, you know. So I, I don't. I wouldn't say that he blamed the kicker per se, but he did make it clear that it's like you either get the job done or we find someone that can not do it. He has done that, you know. But for whatever reason, and, and it's mostly in training camp, right? You hear it. You hear it more in training camp because I think coaches are trying to send messages more often in training camp. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I agree that it's like it, you have to take ownership of your decisions and you have to also hold people accountable for their play. And yeah, I get it. It's a team game, and you don't want to throw people under the bus. You still, have to, you also have to be honest about what's going on. Latavius, did he go to the Broncos? Now I got to look this up because I know Latavius Murray ended up on the Ravens, but I think that was in 2020 after he got cut. If you recall, he got cut for Tony Jones. Latavius Murray, I want to say he signed with the Ravens. I think, I think you're correct. Last year, he went to the Broncos after they signed him off the practice squad because Javante Williams got hurt. And then this season he's on the bills. Yes, that's exactly what it is. So yeah, you're right. You're right. I got that. I got that mixed up 2020. He got released. They kept Tony Jones. He went and signed with the Ravens. He came back in 2022, played that game in London, then got signed off the practice squad by the Broncos after a season ending injury to Javante Williams. This season, he signed a one year deal with the bills. Fun fact He is the oldest active running back on an NFL roster. So yeah, thanks Brandon. Yeah, that it's kind of confusing. There's a lot of, a lot of teams involved there, but you got it. Brian Russell says, please tell me Mickey was just doing PR with that BS interview. He has to be saying something else behind closed doors. He can't be this naive. I mean, yeah, I I think whenever Mickey talks, there's a, there's a PR spin, right? Like, but that's, that's part of his job, right? Again, Mickey understands that his role is not to make life more difficult on the players and the coaches. That's just not, you know, what whatever he says behind closed doors, whatever he thinks, you're not going to know that. You're not he's not going to he's not just come out and be like, "Yeah, we're going to we're going to let DA coach out these last 6 games, but if he doesn't get it done, he's gone. He's toast. We're we're canning him." Like he's never going to say that. So if you're waiting around for Mickey to go on a radio station, whether it's ours or someone else's and, and say something like that. I mean, you know, you're just gonna be waiting a long time. She's not who he is. Um, and again, I, I, I don't think that GMs should do that. Right. Like I think the GMs that end up like bigger than their own britches and, and acting like they're the star of the show, they're the main character of this, of this, of this, this whole thing. I think that's, that's a bigger problem. Uh, Brandon Bygard says go Pels, go Pels. What's gonna happen when the Pelicans win the in-season tournament and miss the playoffs? <laughs> that would be such a Pelicans thing to do. Anyway, uh, let's see. Justin Pasquale says we don't blitz at all like we used to. And if the defensive line hasn't been putting pressure, then obviously we need to send some blitzes and help them out. We cannot afford to not pressure Goff and Comp 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 Company. Um. You know it's funny because they did send more blitzes in their last game, and that's kind of what I what I predicted in terms of you lose Marshawn, you get a little more aggressive on the blitz front, and that's you know this it's a double edged sword, right? When you do that, you put a little more pressure on the back end. You have guys who are not maybe your best in coverage asked to cover one on one, and that's how the Falcons end up with B. John Robinson outrunning Demario Davis to the corner of the end zone, right? And that's that's what happened on that on that play. You blitz Pete Warner. Demario has to track. Bijan out of the backfield and and he gets beat, you know, and so it, it's I don't think they've been blitzing less this year than they have in the last couple of years. But the last 2-3 years in general, you have not been blitzing as much as as maybe you were earlier on. But back before you felt good about your cornerback situation. And so, you know, it's it's funny because with a guy like Goff, I don't know, it's like do you do you you're the I would like to see the Saints be able to generate pressure with their front four. And and because Goff is a guy who's not going to outrun Carl Granderson, right? If you can get him uncomfortable in the pocket, then you should be able to get him to the ground. And that's one of the reasons I feel a little better about this matchup than I think a lot of people do because the Saints are, are built to play a quarterback like Jared Goff. The problem is you just don't get a lot of these matchups, right? <laughs> and so maybe this is... A, a kind of a get-right opportunity for the defensive line, and and maybe you don't have to send as many blitzes because, you know, I, I the the Lions have good pass catchers, but I don't think that they're that they're anything you can't handle. Like I'm more worried about the run game than the pass game, and so if you're if if you're kind of making that decision, you're saying no, we're going to devote more in coverage and kind of and kind of pack the box a little bit and, and keep guys close to the line. I don't think blitzing is necessarily the answer, but we'll see. It, 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 you can go both ways with it. And that's true. It's it's always – that's what it always is, right? Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Brian, it's, it's a good question, and, and we can end on this question. this says, what will it take for the head coach to be fired? And so my thing – and I've been consistent on this, guys, and, and people – Get, I think people get annoyed with me because I'm not as, as violently in on the fire everybody and move on train. And it's just because I'm being just pragmatic. I'm being realistic in that I don't think Dennis Allen gets fired in season. And I don't think anybody gets fired in season because that's just not how the saints operate. The saints value organizational stability. And while that's going to get a big eye roll, it's a fact It's a fact. And if you can come to grips with that, you can understand why this is the way that it is. And so to me, it's like, okay, you're not firing the coach in season, but you are setting benchmarks and you are saying you better live up to them or you make changes, right? And so, you know, then the final six games is going to be important, right? Like the final six games is going to inform a lot of your decision-making. If you can make the playoffs and you can get, To the post, if you can you can win the division and get to the postseason, and you and you feel like you turned a corner, you unearthed some things, you 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 got on the right track, then then I don't know, maybe maybe you don't fire the head coach and you just clean house on the offensive side of the ball, and like you like you kind of did on the defensive side last year, right? And you you just kind of rebuild some things, go draft a quarterback maybe, and and say okay, Derek, you're stuck with Derek Carr. That's the confusing part of this is. It's gonna be really difficult to to do anything beyond bring Derek Carr back and figure something out. So you just have to go from there and and say, what is our best option? And so to me, Dennis Allen gets fired if the team quits. Like if you if you go out and lose to the Lions, like not just lose to the Lions, but lose to the Lions by 20. Like get embarrassed by the Lions at home, right? To the point that man this is, this isn't working. Like this is not even not working. This is, this is on fire, right? Then you, you, I I still don't even think you necessarily do that immediately, but you kind of make your, the bet has been made at that point. And then the last five games you face a bunch of teams that you should be, if you can't win those games, then yeah, fire everybody, right? Like it's a failure. You're not going out of this season at six and, 6-11 Six and eleven, and saying, "Eh, maybe next year, right?" No, you can't. I mean, you can't. Personally, I don't think you can. not So, to me, that's like that's probably what's going to happen. If you if you completely flub the final six games of this season, yeah, you get fired. Now, do you have pride? Does this team have pride? Will it come out and play with pride? Because like I think people went to the last month of last season and said, "Man, it's over." That that loss to the Bucks, they're completely dead in the water. And then they go out and win three games, and you can say there's some caveats to that. But they, but we don't need to pretend that they went out to, to Cleveland and played in the ice bowl and they had no ability to just fold. So, I mean, I think that's kind of where you're at, right? I think to me, it's like, okay, you look at these final six games and, and it's going to inform how, how much of this you have to tear down. Like I said, I, I think we're past the point where, where we're debating whether there's changes needed. It's, it's just you're figuring out the levels to which you need to make changes and and I think that's why when you're when you're Mickey and you're kind of coming out and giving these kind of frozen in carbonite takes <laughs> that's why because you're you're not making any decisions right now because you don't have to right like what what benefit do you have of making decisions right now you're you're, you're kind of just like you don't know who's going to be available you don't know how many teams are going to be firing coaches right and so you're kind of just in a holding pattern you're you're watching and hoping for the best but like I said, you know, it's going to annoy people, um, but I've been pretty consistent on this. So I'm not going to, not going to waffle now, um, but I get it. I get why everyone's frustrated. Um, this has been a long mail back. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut it off there. And then Brian Russell's, Yeah. That's why I kind of corrected myself. Cause it's saying it's been on fire. It, it feels like it has been, you know, and everything's been on fire except for the saints offense. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's hard to see a scenario where that, where that fixes itself, but, to, that's why they play the games right we'll see and then, yeah i mean i am curious to see uh, how how the fans are in the stadium on sunday because it, it they they could get ugly they could get ugly and we'll, uh, we'll 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 cross that bridge when we get to it but thanks everyone for listening this is inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak if you haven't subscribed yet please do that um, I'll, I'll still be here for the final six games whether da is or not um, but yeah thanks everyone for listening if you want to hit me up do so on twitter at jeff underscore Joak. you can follow the show at saints underscore pod um or you can check out the latest news notes and analysis the latest mickey loomis interview on wwl.com and we will go from there who Ghost go saints thanks y'all be easy Peace.